Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Wow, what a, what a nice... Uh, thank you, worship team, for putting such, such excellence into your work. Uh, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing such a bang-up job. You guys... You guys are a blessing. Um, there was a, there was a there's ladies' craft, obviously, thing going on. But on Friday, the guys threw axes. We threw axes for Jesus. That's what we did. Yeah, and uh, went undefeated, just so you know. Just so you know, I'm just a little competitive. I don't know. Well, we went out to dinner afterwards, and I was talking to... Um, even after the whole thing, I was talking to John, and, and Michael Sypek was there, which was fun. I haven't seen him in a little bit. Um, I was saying, man, I love this group of guys. I just love hanging out. I love talking. I love getting involved. Ladies, if you can get involved with the ladies' ministry, you're going to love it. Guys, if you get involved with the men's ministry, the different things we're doing, we're throwing axes. It doesn't mean make a difference unless you're us, right? We're very competitive, yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just hanging out, being together, talking. We, we talked about so, we talked all over the place, didn't we? From interest rates to everything, the whole thing. Inflation's real. We talked about that. Um, yeah, just get involved. That's what the church is supposed to be. This is a part of the church. Sunday morning, it's a big part of the church. It's great. It's awesome. Worship needed to be, needs to be done. Uh, this time to get together. But fellowship and community is the greatest part. It's the strength of the church to have somebody else that you, there's a first phone call. When you're down and you're out, there's a phone call that can be, can be made. Okay, so that's what the church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be more than just Sunday mornings. It's not just a clever title for the, uh, the children's ministry resource, whatever that is. I hope you go to that. That's going to be great. But it's got to be more than Sunday mornings. All right. We are in uh, the second week of a three-part series on the book of Jude called Wolves. And today we're going to get into uh, some interesting, interesting stuff. I've read the book of Jude many, many times. But because it's a chapter, it's literally one chapter, you kind of read through it, and it's, and it's right before Revelation. So Revelation gets, like, all the attention. You know, there's, like, fire from heaven and dragons and all that stuff. So it gets all the attention. It kind of takes the air out of the book of Jude. So when I said, you know what? I'm going to teach on the book of Jude because I've never taught on it. And I started to, to look. Now, now, now I'm actually like digging in and researching, right? Oh, man. Tough book to preach on. There's some weird stuff in here. <laughs> We're going to get into it today. But it's exciting. When you start picking apart what's surface area, it seems a little bit, on, a little bit weird. Man, there's some good stuff here. And I want, I want you to understand that Jude's heart here is for the people of the church to understand, and we were talking about in Philippians, what's valuable and worth holding on to and what we need to drop. And throughout history, there has been a group of people who have tried to steal from the people of God. They've been trying to steal, kill, and destroy the people of God from the blessings, the fellowship, and the true faith that is what we're, where we get our power. The true faith is where we get our power. Not from false teachings that kind of appease our own flesh. And it's down through the ages. And it's today. 
So I'm going to try to draw for you some connections between what the book of Jude is talking to the, the first century church and how it's a universal issue that we deal with today. And I would even make the, the assertion that because of our, um, our capacity to speak to the world from our basements, that there's, this, is even on, this is even more important than it ever has been before. There's more voices than ever before. Okay? So that's what we're going to talk about. So open up to the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. So go to the back of your book and go left. And I would appreciate, uh, we're, we're gonna, what we're going to do today is I'm going to read verses 5 through 16 for you today. Just going to read it straight out. And I want you to keep your finger there because we're going we're gonna to go back through it and unpack it. So I want you to follow along as we unpack these different verses because you probably don't realize that these are even in the Bible because it's such a, a fly-through book. Right? But it should not be uh, ignored. All right, week two of this series is called Appetite Check. Appetite Check. And the big idea is this. The believer can stay alert by being mindful of red flags in our personal lives and in the lives of those who influence us. We all know the, the, this word, influencer. Like people are making careers out of being influers, influencers, influencers, influencers on TikTok and all these things. They're, they're making bank because they have a weird way of doing something or, you know, I was asking, what is the biggest draw for influencers? And usually it has something to do with, like, doing something stupid that causes people to go, ha that's funny. And then that gets, it's just weird. But we ha we've always had influencers. There's always been influencers. I just, influencers, I can't say the word. And it's in the sermon a lot. So get, so get ready, influencer. Um, but it's, it's interesting. Uh, they, why do we have the, why, why do people want to be influencers? Most often it's not for altruistic purposes. There's usually something. They, they do it for the likes, the attention, and the financial benefits. They will say whatever they need to say to keep you coming back, connected to the algorithm, keep you clicking, those little red hearts, Keep the and keep the Benjamins flowing. That is the difference between an influencer and a pastor. Let me say that again. That's the difference between an influencer and a pastor. At least it should be. Jude, verse 5, says this. Now I want to remind you all, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and then later destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perver perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. In the same way, 
In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, these people, so he's equating people who have moved away from the proper order. These people, relying on their dreams, meaning not grounded in any objective truth, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glory, the glorious ones. Yet when Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare to utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things, they are destroyed. So they're not going to listen to anything. They're just going to go with their, their natural feelings. And by those natural feelings, they are going to be destroyed. That's what he's saying. Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain, have plunged into Balaam's error for profit. They have perished in Korah's rebellion. I'm going to unpack that for you, I promise. These people are dangerous reefs. At your love feasts, they eat with, uh, with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They shepherd their own interests, is what he's saying. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds. Trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, Wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the star of the show whose destiny is wandering in darkness forever because of my terrible, terrible actions. It was about these that Enoch in the seventh generation of Adam prophesied. Look. The Lord comes with 10,000 of his, turn page, holy ones, to encourage judgment, uh, to, excuse me, to ex execute judgment on all and to con uh, convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. Last verse. These people are discontented grumblers, living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. Wow, there's a lot in there. There is a lot in there. Jude is, what we had to understand right, right, off the, right off the bat, is Jude is speaking to a group of people who are primarily Jewish. All the things in this, book, in this uh, few verses that were like, what is he talking about? His audience would have known exactly what he's talking about. So that's where the disconnect comes from the book of Jude. We just don't, we don't get it all. So that's why it's so important to unpack this. And I'm going to unpack it for you verse by verse. Okay? So follow along with me as we go back through the section verse by verse. Jude begins using past Examples of people who dis uh, departed from the truth and suffered the consequences. He generally works in groups of three. All right. 
First, there were the Israelites whom God led out of Egypt, but ended up dying in the wilderness. Never to see the promised land because of their unbelief. That was verse 5. So they saw the wonders of God. They saw, I mean, th- these people saw it. These are the people that the, the, the Red Sea opened for, that they, you know, they walked straight through. I, somebody the other day was talking to me. I'm doing a Bible study on Wednesday nights in, in a different town, and I was teaching, and they're like, Pastor, I think it would be a lot easier if we could just see it every once in a while. I'm kind of like, maybe, but probably not. I mean, these people literally saw the the plagues of Egypt, walked out wealthy beyond belief. The Bible says they fleeced the Egyptian people. They just said, hey, can I have your stuff? And they're like, yes, please get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And they literally fleeced. I was reading the other day in my own personal devotions about the building of the tabernacle and all the things it took to build the tabernacle. And it's like, where do these Bedouin people traveling in the wilderness get all this stuff? They got it from Egypt. They took everything. And these same people got to a little town on the coast of Jericho, on the coast of the Jordan, across from Jericho, and said, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's too hard. We can't do it. And, and, um, 10 out of the 12 said, God, it basically said, God is not able to. And he tried, and he convinced, they could, those 10 people convinced the entire population that God was not able to bring them into the promised land. Those are the 10 that he's talking about. And everybody paid the price for it. They didn't get to see, they died in the desert, they couldn't see the promised land. Okay, next we have a reference to the most, that most scholars agree comes from the extra-canonical work of First Enoch. This is, a, this is a apocryphal book. It's the story of the angel rebellion and the ultimate judgment of the angels for their choice to swerve outside of the line that God created them to fulfill. There's a lot of debate over what, what actually this is. Is this the fall of the angels due to, to, to Satan's rebellion? Or is this the... Um, the commingling of angels with humans before the flood? Nobody has a great answer for it. But this is out of that uh, apocryphal book of Enoch. Um, now, the book of Enoch and the other book of Moses, uh, these are apocryphal books that were teaching books that the, the uh, Hebrew scholars would use. They're kind, of, they're kind of full of parables. Parables are stories that convey a message. Um, some of them may be historically correct. Some of them may just be parables. That's why they're not in canon. Okay? We, they're not uh, inerrant, is what we're saying. We don't know that they are. But they're interesting, and they do teach a lot of good truths. All right? And they may have some history in there, but it's kind of hard to decipher the myth from the, from the history. Okay? But so at some point, angels stepped out of line, and God has... Uh, judge them for that act. Next, Jude cites the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? There's no doubt. So people try to sidestep this concept. There's no doubt that Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities were judged because of their rampant sexual sin. No doubt. In this day and age, people like try to like sidestep it. Well, they'll use the book of uh, Ecclesiastes to try to sidestep that. 
Jude makes it very clear why they were judged. But I want to I go to Ecclesiastes real quick because I want to show you what Ecclesiastes says about the, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. 1649 says, This was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and the needy. So above and beyond, does that sound like any other culture that you know? Rampant sexual sin, prosperous and abundant. Okay? You got to be careful. We got to be careful. These, these, these timeless truths echo through the ages right into our backyards. Jude reinforces the idea that we are held accountable for our own disobedience. These wolves within the church have rejected the authority of God. Back to Jude now. These wolves that are integrated into the church that Jude is writing to have rejected the authority of God and instead placed their faith in their own visions, desires, and ego rather than giving proper respect to spiritual authority and power. Be careful of false prophets who dream dreams. Make sure those dreams jive with the truth. I'm not saying people won't have dreams. I am a person who believes that the Holy Spirit is alive and well in our current age. But I'm also very, I've seen, I've been around this thing long enough to see church and things that can't be objectively proven in Scripture used to manipulate the masses. So be careful. Use the word to confirm the word. Okay? Jude then moves into a story that many of us are unfamiliar. Uh, it's from the book of the Testament of Moses. Now, this is another apocryphal book like the book of Enoch. And it's a parable that was passed on through Jewish writings to drive home a moral and theological truth. Jude's audience of Jewish believers would have been well-versed in this apocryphal work. It's a story that occurs at the death of Moses. Now, nobody knows where Moses was buried. Okay? Moses was not allowed. He was among the group that was not allowed to go into the promised land. Okay? So he went up somewhere, and he died, and nobody... And nobody was allowed to bury him or to find his bones. And the question would be, why? why not? He's Moses. Because they knew, God knew, that Moses would have been made into an idol. His bones would have been carried around as some kind of talisman. The people of Israel were too fragile at that time for something like that. So he went off secretly and he, was, he died. Now, this apocryphal book talks about that incident. So the story occurs at Moses' death, where the devil, in his traditional role of malicious accuser, had accused Moses of murder. Okay? This is presumably due to the generation of people who died in the wilderness while Moses led them for the 40 years. Also, the multitudes of Egyptians' firstborns who perished along with other judgments that God handed out by Moses during his leadership. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. What is the accusation? That the one that God chose to use 
to carry out his decrees, his law, his justice, was somehow evil. That he did, he did it. That he made the judgments. That it wasn't God. That he was responsible for the death of these people. The archangel Michael, who was sent to guard the body of Moses, defends Moses and refuses to consider the accusations of the devil, knowing that God had appointed Moses and utterly and ultimately it was God's judgment that condemns the disobedient, thus giving ultimate judgment to the Lord. False teachers often want to dishonor God's appointed messengers when they uphold the truth of his word. And I'm going to tell you why. Because it's scary. It's scary to stand in front of somebody and say, no, that is not okay. A court, and they're like, well, what do you, what makes you, it's not me. If it were me, we'd have a different conversation. But I am not standing on my opinions or my thoughts or my likes or my dislikes. I'm standing on the word of God and I cannot, I cannot deviate from the word of God. So you can call me anything you want to. You can accuse me of whatever you want to. But I have a responsibility to stand on this word. And so did Moses. It was not Moses' judgments that caused those people to die. It was God's. The true messenger of God are not teaching or making judgments according to their own whims or appetites, but according to the revealed word of God. He alone has the right to judge. So a lot of the people, you know, uh, in our contemporary age, like, well, it's not our job, our job to judge. Good job. You're right. But it is our, God to, our job to discern proper judgment. See the difference? We just, because it's not our job to judge, because it's God's job to judge, doesn't allow us to just let everything go and, and you know, it's not my job. It's not my job to judge. Who are you to judge? I am, trust me, I got my own stuff. It's not my job to judge you. It's my job to put all things up against the rubrics of God's word and say, is this right or wrong? And where it says it's wrong, I cannot say it's right. So a lot of church today has fallen under the compromising their principles to appease the will of man because it's scary, especially in our cancel culture. Jude isn't done yet. He's really going after these wolves. He has a woe to give, verse 11. And any time we see a woe in Scripture, woe. It's exactly what it's meant to be. You know when you, you stop a horse? Whoa. Whoa. That should trigger our minds to go, whoa. Time to take notice and focus. Stop what I'm, stop what I'm reading and really pay attention. He says this in verse 11. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Basically, this whole verse is code that you and I don't get. He's using three distinct stories here in one sentence. And I'm going to break it down for you. He's weaving three stories of disobedience into one sentence. 
First of all, he brings up Cain. Cain's way was the way of godlessness and sensuality, violence and lust, greed and blasphemy, which led to divine judgment. It was the way of pride. Cain wanted to earn a relationship with God by his own works and became a hateful murderer. So the beginning of verse 11 could read this way. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of prideful ambition. That's how the Jewish person would have heard that statement. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of prideful ambition. Leave that right on the board there. Okay. Then he goes into this story of Balaam. Does anybody know the story of Balaam? It's an amazing story because it's the only place in Scripture where there's a talking donkey. You're like, what? Talking, come on, you're asking me, the talking donkey. Anyway, what happened is Balaam was hired by the enemies of Israel to speak curses over the people of Israel. And every time he went up on the mountain overlooking the people of Israel, he'd get all geared up to speak a curse over them. And what came out of his mouth were blessings. He couldn't do it. He tried it multiple times. He couldn't do it. He couldn't speak a curse over Israel. So, but he was being paid to do so. He was being paid to speak curses over Israel. So when he couldn't do that, he didn't want to give up the, the money, so he devised a different way. Balaam's error was compromised with God's enemies for monetary gain. He consulted with the Midianites to seduce the Israelites to commit adultery and sexual immorality. He said, okay, if I can't speak curses over them, if we can't curse them uh, overtly, we're going to go covert. And what you need to do is you need to mingle with them and show them how your worship appeases their lusts because their worship a lot of their worship had to do with sexual immorality it's like and to draw them away to draw them away from the truth of god by appeasing and appealing to their sinful flesh and it worked and it worked okay um you can find that in numbers 31 his way was to use the spiritual uh, the spiritual to gain the material for himself. His error was thinking that he could get away with his sin. The false teachers also compromised God's truth in the book of Jude in a way that involved idolatry and immorality. Their, their, their teachings in the book of Jude was, you don't have to live a righteous life. You don't have to. Just be a part of the community. You, you, know, you can live how you want to live. You don't have to live a righteous life. You, the grace of God is, is, it covers all of those sins you've done in the past and sins you've done in the future, so just have that. Okay, that's why he's talking about Balaam. But he's saying those teachers would likewise perish under God's judgment as Balaam did. So the second part of this sentence could read this. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of prideful ambition, abandoning themselves to immoral compromises for the sake of wealth and glory. That's how it would have read to the Jewish mind. Guys, I'm telling you, comprom uh, immoral compromises are the bane of a Western church. And we've got to get back to objective truths of God's word. And lastly, this, this reference to Korah's rebellion. 
was against God and his appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. The false teachers of Jude's time were also rebelling against God and his leaders, the apostles, the appointed pastors that the apostles had given, people who were called by God to take care, excuse me, you're in the splash zone, a little closer today. Uh, We're going to get new life ponchos for all of you in the front row. Big logo. Uh, where was it? Okay, uh, the idea, oh yes, Korah, rebellion. The idea that the, the teachers were rebelling, they were teaching within, underneath the authority of the appointed pastors and teachers and apostles. So these people were appointed by God, yet they were going in and they were teaching other things underneath. They were telling the people, you don't have to listen to the apostles. That truth that they, that, that, that quote unquote truth that they brought you, it's not the whole truth. I got, I got something better. I got some secret knowledge that you need to know. Those wolves today are YouTube. People who have no relationship with the pastors. People who have no relationship with the people coming in and telling. I'm going to say it this way. There are people trying to get my people off track. And they don't know you. They don't care about you. you have, they, have no, they have no accountability to you. Yet they're teaching you all kinds of garbage and you're going... I mean, it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious. The church was not made for this. The church is supposed to be communities, small communities of people who have accountability and love for one another, who can correct each other, who can teach. They're not meant for this, this worldwide platform. When the church started to get corrupted by paganism was when? As soon as it became a, a worldwide church. When Constantine uh, took the church and made it the state-appointed church, that's where Catholicism started going. <laughs> Up until that point, Catholicism was just the church. Catholicism means just universal church. That's what it means, right? So it's little pockets of, of believers and appointed pastors who are, who are connected to that community and care and love for that community. And these people who don't care a rip about these people are coming in and teaching them all kinds of garbage and pulling away from the truth. We've got to be careful. Korah's rebellion was against God and his appointed leaders, Moses and Aaron. The false teachers of Jude's time were also rebelling against God's leaders, the apostles. Korah also uh, perished by divine punishment. You want to know how Korah died? God opened up the ground and swallowed him and everybody who followed him. So all the people who followed him, <laughs> Moses is like, okay, guys, listen, hold on. We've got to really be careful about this because if you don't want to fall into a hole, you need to separate yourself from those, from those people who were, who, were, who were speaking against God and God's appointed messengers, and you need to get away from them because they're going to go in a hole. So everybody moved away from them, and then the earth opened up, and they fell in, and it I don't know. That sounds crazy. But a lot of crazy stuff happened during that time. So the full sentence from the Jewish ear would read like this. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of prideful ambition, abandoning themselves to immoral compromises for the sake of wealth and glory, 
stirring up rebellion in the people and being subject to divine judgment. That's what it would have said. That's how they would have understood it. Okay? These wolves hide. Most of them are in their basements. Like a reef you don't see until the boat hits and it sinks. They promise one thing but never deliver. Like a rain cloud that offers no rain or a fruit tree that never bears fruit. Verse 12. I think of the prosperity preachers that are all over the place. They're on TV. They're on YouTube. They feed the, uh, who feed promises. And they, feed you, uh, they, they, they promise you everything the world has to offer. Falsely teaching that is your right as a child of God. All you have to do is send a financial gift. The more you send, the greater your faith. And the greater your blessing will be. So don't delay. Send your check today. We also take Venmo. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it. Wealth is not your right. Stewardship is your responsibility. Stewardship is your responsibility, not wealth. Look at the parables that Jesus taught. You know when the people who got more were those who stewarded the little that they had well because they were faithful. It wasn't their right. In fact, the guy who he gave the one talent to, it wasn't his right. He didn't multiply. He didn't steward it. Guess what happened? It was taken away from him. But he was one of the guys. He was one of the guys that the, the, the guy gave money to. This was right. No, it wasn't. You know what it also says about him? He's in utter darkness. We've got to be careful to read the word for what it is. We'll talk a little bit more next week about the way in which a lot of this is like, oh, man, pastor, how do I, how do I navigate this stuff? Next week, I'll give you the tools to do that. But today, the goal is for you to understand that the enemy, the wolves are out there. The greatest thing that Satan can do is to convince you that he doesn't exist. Once you, once you think that, then he's going to have a heyday. The wolves are out there. And I'm telling you this, the wolves are in the church. Now, I hope not in here. But they're in the church. They're real. They're real. They're as real today as they were in the book of Jude. They're always whipping around like the waves, ready to drag people under in a deadly rip current. They creep around pretending to be good when they're not. They will certainly face judgment for their actions one day. Again, Jude references Enoch, the book of Enoch. The church must be watchful for these creepers. I like the way the message puts verse 16. It says this. These are the complainers, the belly acres, grabbing for the biggest piece of the pie, talking big, saying anything they think will get them ahead. They are not there to build up the church, but to exploit the church to build them themselves. 
Now, I am not going to, today or next week, I am not going to name names. I don't think that's fair. I was, we, we were in, in Philippians just recently. Uh, we were talking about how Paul, there were some people in the church who were teaching the word of God in order to spite Paul. And he's like, you know what? God's going to judge them. Kind of like Michael said to, to, to Satan. God's going to judge them. But at least the word's being preached. So I'm not going to stand up here and, and run down people's ministries. I'm not going to, to name names. But what I am going to do is I'm going to try to empower you with tools so that you can see clearly the wolves in the flock. All the examples that Jude has given us leave us with the picture of people who are using the church. Not to follow Jesus, but to gain power and control while feeding their lustful desires. The slew of hard-to-watch documentaries and shocking podcasts highlighting the rise and fall of well-known leaders is frustrating. We were talking about one the other day. Uh, if anybody's been watching, these, there's major church leaders out there who have fallen. And, and the, world is, the world is noticing. The world is noticing, and they're making documentaries out of it. And they're taking those wolves and they're saying, you're exactly like them. Anybody who believes this, you're exactly like them. It's not real. It's just a way of manipulating the masses. And that's such a shame because the only hope of this world is the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to mention one because he's gone. But it broke my heart to see Robbie Zacharias go down. I don't know if you guys, anybody's familiar with him. Man, I was a follower. I, was, I loved every book he wrote. I was, uh, Robbie Zacharias was one of my guys. I, he was one of the ones I went to. And then he passed away, and, and all this garbage came out about his illicit relationships. And guy was writing spiritual books while visiting brothels. How in the world can you do that? <laughs> Deflating. There's been a couple pastors out there that I've, I've um, enjoyed their stuff that have just let me down. But for the grace of God, there go I. We got to keep close. We got to keep connected. We got to abide. Going back to a past sermon series. I've got to get done. Okay, here we go. The way of the cross is powerful, but it's never been a power play, at least not in the earth's realm. It is marked, listen to these two things. These are going to help you this week, okay? Next week, we'll give you even more tools. It is marked by humility and sacrifice. Where you don't see those two things, just start to pay attention. It is, a, uh, it is laying down your life for another so that they may know the freedom from sin and shame. Good leaders are not in it for themselves. I'm going to read you a couple of verses that I'm going to leave you with today. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. 
consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 2 Timothy 2, 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as approved, a worker who need not be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Philippians 2, 3. Do, oh, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 says this, For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Matthew 23, 11. The greatest among you shall be your servant. John 13, 13 through 15. This is Jesus. You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I was mind blown the other day when I, when I there was a, a very negative piece on a particular preacher. I'm talking about washing the feet. And they listed how many hundreds of dollars his sneakers cost while he was on the platform. These are about 50 bucks, just so you know, just so we're clear. Okay, just so we're clear, all right? Hundreds and hundreds of dollars for sneakers. It was really, really frustrating. You should be washing each other's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. A leader is, a, is one who is humble and sacrificial. It's, they're, not about, they're not in it for them. And this is my favorite one on this. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain it to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? If we are not teaching in the church to live up to Christ, then we're not preaching the gospel. We're actually preaching a different gospel. So that we may no longer be children. Ready? Tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by the craftiness in deceitful schemes. Wolves in the flock. If, if what, what he's saying is this, is if we are allowed, allow ourselves to be led astray, that we are basically spiritual children with no adult supervision and no adult discernment. Wake up, grow up into the stature of Jesus Christ and don't let these teachers out there drag you away from the true gospel. Rather, verse 15, speak the truth in love. 
Speak the truth. We've we got to speak the truth, regardless of how scary it is, regardless of the cancel culture that's out there. We've got to speak the truth. But we don't have to be jerks about it. That's a whole other side of the, the church today, is those ones who are just loudmouth jerks about the truth. Do you realize how hard it is to be a pastor? <laughs> Holy cow. But I'm telling you, folks, you are a pastor to somebody today. It's our responsibility to live this thing out properly, to live the truth in love. Rather, speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head unto Christ. It's him, not us. Moses did what God said. He's the righteous judge. He's the one we should be worried about. Last word. When we find that the gospel of humanity, uh, excuse me, when we find that the gospel of humility and love is being usurped for a desire for power, selfish pleasure, and control, it is time to repent and confront the problems. Okay? For many of us, to confront the problem would just be to unlike a particular feed on your channel. I don't know, I don't know, and that's the, oh, that's the scariest part of it. I don't know who you're listening to. I don't know who's populating your news feeds. I don't know who's on your, uh, your podcast list. I don't know who they are. But they need to be held accountable to the word of God just as I need to be held accountable to the word of God. I've said it a hundred times if I haven't said it once. If something I say from this pulpit doesn't jive with this, we need to have a conversation. It's your responsibility. We speak the truth in love. And we don't listen to the influencers that are only benefiting from getting you on the hook. God, help us to grow up. Help us to be, to, to develop a spiritual discernment. Help us to be able to listen, not with just our, our ears, our desires, our human wants, to be led astray. Lord, help us to hear through the through the person of the Holy Spirit who is given to the church to guide us into all truth but will never contradict the word. That's one of the ways we know what to do is we hear the internal voice of the Holy Spirit and we say, how do I know that that's him and not me? Well, does it jive with the word of God? If it jives with the word of God, we know it's God. Lord, help us to, be, to grow up in this and I pray for my, my church. I love them so much. God, I pray that you would give them discernment. Lord, that they would know that you care about them enough to say no to certain messages. Lord, that you care about them enough to put boundaries up around them that keep them safe. Like we talked about last week, you are the door to the sheep pen. 
Anybody who comes in and out through that sheep pen has to come through you. You keep us safe because you love us. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be a spirit of anxiety walking out of this today, but Lord, there would be a spirit of, hmm, let me think about that. Let me check that. And as we go into next week, we look at some of the tools that will help us to discern what is right and what is wrong. God, I pray that we, we are able to thrive in you and grow up to the fullness of the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. God bless. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org. I hope you enjoyed our podcast today. To find out more about New Life Church or to plan a visit, go to our website at discovernewlife.org.